Welcome to the Passive Income Through Multifamily Real Estate Podcast, brought to you by APT Capital Group, where Kyle and Lalita talk to top experts and seasoned passive investors in the business to help provide clarity and key insights to keep you safe on your journey to financial freedom. Our goal is to help you get educated on how to create passive income for you and your family using real estate as your vehicle. If you enjoy the show, please go to iTunes and leave a rating and written review to help us grow and reach more listeners. Now, here are your hosts, Kyle and Lolita. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Passive Income Through Multifamily Real Estate Podcast. I'm your co-host, Lolita, also joined by Kyle. Before we get started, please make sure to head over to our website, aptcapitalgroup.com, and grab our free Passive Investor's Guide. Also, if you're interested in learning more about what we do, you can schedule a call with Kyle on our website as well. All right, time to get into our show. Join us at the Virtual Asset Management Summit on June 21st through June 27th. It's a seven-day content-packed event for multifamily operators and asset managers with over 1,500 attendees and over 20 amazing speakers. You will hear from top experts about topics such as construction management, KPIs, refinancing, investor relations, the capital stack, disposition, and so much more. Go to www.amsummit2021.com to grab your free ticket to become the best-in-class operator. Discover the best asset management strategies all in one place. We hope to see you there at the Virtual Asset Management Summit. On today's show, we have Scott Crone joining us. Welcome, Scott. How's it going? It's going well. Thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity. Awesome. Thanks for being here. Before we head into the interview, here's a little bit about Scott. Scott has an extensive background and obtains a Master's of Architecture from the Illinois Institute of Technology. In 2012, he founded Coda Management Group. Coda manages a wide range of real estate, including single and multifamily homes, retail, commercial warehouse, self-storage, and multi-use flex athletic spaces. Currently, the platform of investments is in excess of $55 million. So Scott, sounds like you're a busy guy. Can you go ahead and tell the listeners a little bit more about yourself and what you currently do? Certainly. Our main focus right now is we're, we're directing our attention on converting existing warehouses into self, or not existing warehouses, but existing commercial buildings into self-storage. So we have two companies, one coded design build where someone comes to us and says we want you to build this or develop this for us, we will certainly do that. But our main portfolio of investments right now is actively pursuing self-storage opportunities, so either creating them or looking for existing opportunities. And one of the things that we just did recently is we created our own self-storage operating company called One Stop Self-Storage. Perfect. And I know you focus on self-storage, but also do some warehouse as well. And so that's what we're going to be focused on today is some warehouse stuff. And I think you're the first person to come on and, and speak on that asset class. So I'm, I'm really interested on it. Can you talk to us about what that asset class is, how it works and some details behind it? Well, I mean, if you compare it, my background was in multifamily. When I began in getting my master's degree in architecture, it was a 400 unit on 50 acres development of multifamily. It was a mixture of condominiums, townhomes, and single family homes. And we also did condo conversions from apartments into condominiums. And we were also managing apartments at that point in time. So my background is very much multifamily. For your listeners, 
if the context is multifamily, everything from there is just a simplified and a less complex version of that. So within the warehouse arena, specifically trying to figure out how you can lease out that space with one tenant or multiple tenants, but the concept is a much more simplified version of multifamily. And so the economics, the derivatives that are a lot more simple in the sense that you're just looking at your NOI. You know, so if you're doing a triple net lease, then it's just straight income to you and then your tenant takes care of the rest of it. So within our flex warehouse space, we have modified gross and triple net leases. And so it's much easier for us to manage compared to multifamily. How has that space done during COVID and, you know, everything going on over the last year? Well, I think it depends on the in the industry, which is utilizing the warehouse. So for instance, more of our retail components have suffered, but, you know, our athletic component has thrived. Uh, you know, when we're having uh, the build out of the spaces, like for instance, we have our golf, our indoor golf is actually growing and expanding at this point in time. Our basketball, where they've taken our warehouse and they turned it into basketball courts, they're actually thriving during this period of time. So in each of those different things, but we have another tenant that is more service industry, which is much more uh, retail sensitive, I would say. And they've, you know, they've been hit a lot differently than uh, the other areas. So I think it depends on what areas you are, how the government is regulating things and what they're doing. But for the most part, our warehouses, our self-storage has, we opened one up in the in the beginning of COVID, like a week before the governor shut down the state of Illinois. And we've hit 36% occupancy during that period of time. So we've exceeded our first year projections in nine months. So it depends on you know what the industry and what you're servicing the warehouses with. Okay. Right there, you said 36% in the first nine months, right? And so with multifamily, obviously, if you're at 36%, it's not good. So talk about that. What kind of are your projections for the first year and why is it so low, but still hitting your targets? Well, when you start off with a new multifamily, you're you're expecting to get 3% per month. So that would be 36% in 12 months. So it's no different than self-storage. When you're beginning and your occupancy starts at zero, you have to build it up. So the fact that we exceeded the 3% per month was, you know, we, we met that objective. Okay. That makes sense. So what are some of the driving factors that make investing in the warehouse space interesting for you? It's much more predictable. You know, one of the things that we can look at demographics, we can look at saturations, we can look at market rates. It's a lot more analytical than comparatively to multifamily. If someone comes in and says, well, I don't like the carpeting, or I don't like the color of the appliances or the cabinets, then they walk out the door and they find another option. You don't have that emotional base behind it. Sort of like the Henry Ford model, you can have any type of car that you want as long as it's black. You know, in our model, it's a box, you know, so we can make the box whatever you need it to be. And so therefore, there's a lot more flexibility within that product type. Okay, that makes sense. As far as evaluating markets on where to invest in warehouse space, is it pretty much the same as evaluating a market for multifamily? Or are you looking at some other determining factors to choose where it's located and the size you buy and all that good stuff? Well, we're definitely looking at demographics. And so we're in the sense that I think there's an over cap compression within multifamily right now. And in fact, that's the reason why I sold my multifamily is I felt that we were at the, you know, the tightest cap rate that we were going to get. So I figured I'm not going to exactly predict the top of the market, but I'm pretty close. So I might as well sell it off now. 
So what we're looking for is what are the general demographic trends that are growing? Is the market growing or is it decreasing? And then what are the impetuses behind driving that? You know, is it job growth or is it taxes or those sorts of things? So we're really focusing on the macro. And then once we analyze the macro, then we're specifically looking at the micro industry and micro market there. So we just bought a building in Louisville, Kentucky. And so over the past 10 years, there's been 20% growth rate. And so that they're still projecting another 20% over the next 10 years. And so that building is a flex warehouse space as well as self-storage that we're going to be building the self-storage in half of it, but we're doing flex warehouse space in the other half. And we just really like the demographics of what was going on there. And the fact that we bought the building for $13 a square foot, well below replacement costs was just a, a bonus for us. Who are you working with to find your inventory? I mean, is it just like multifamily in the sense there's brokers as well in that space? It doesn't seem as prominent as it is in the multifamily space. It is not as prominent, but we don't have one source. We really work with a broad net, if you will. So for instance, the properties that we have in Toledo and Dayton, they weren't on the market. Our broker went to them and to the, the warehouse owners and said, you know, would you be interested in selling? And they said, like what I would say, depending on the price. <laughs> and so, you know, we came to what we felt was a good price for both of us. I mean, we bought our Toledo building at $11 a square foot, and I think we bought Dayton around 11 and a half. And so, you know, again, well below replacement cost. And the funny thing is in Toledo, the uh, the local municipality accused me of overpaying for the building. And I was like, well, you know, or no, they accused me of buying the building on the cheap. And I said, if it was so cheap, then why did the owner sell it to me? He was obviously pleased with the price that he got. But you know that's what it takes. It takes two parties that are necessary to bring it together. But we look at replacement costs. We look at what our operational costs are. We look to see if we have a competitive advantage compared to our competition. And we make sure that our purchase price affords us that opportunity. So we're not going in and paying top dollar. We're coming in and making sure that we have a competitive advantage once we do buy. Because we truly believe that you make your money on the buy, not on the sell. Yep. 100%. What would you say the top three strengths of warehouse investing is if there was someone new that's interested in learning more about it? What are the top three strengths? Well, it's easier to control your costs. If you set up a triple net lease, then you know those expenses get passed on to the owner, I mean, the operator. So one, I mean, the number one thing for us is it's demographically driven. And so we're, we're looking at those markets. We're understanding it. We have feasibility reports. It's much more numbers driven versus emotional driven. The second is that we feel that there's greater capacity within the lending space because of once we get them stabilized and active, then there's the CMB bond markets that we can pass these assets onto rather than just in the traditional debt space. And the third one is lack of competition. I mean, honestly, you know, multifamily has been on fire since, you know, 08, 09, when the recession, first recession hit. And that's because all the big banks put all their money into multifamily. So there's a tremendous amount of competition. So one of the things we like to do is not go down the mainstream, but look for the, you know, the, the secondary streams where we can find some good fishing, if you will. Yep. What are some things to look out for on the warehouse industry? Maybe they're maybe not top or bottom three, but some things that you can get in trouble if you're getting into this industry. Well, making sure one, your zoning, what, you know, what are your entitlements, making sure that you have those sorts of things. So what is permissible within those entitlements? So we look at all the uses in our Dayton project. They were, the city was trying to withhold our public financing that we got through it by restricting our, they wanted to take, put us back into a PUD process, which would have really limited our entitlements. 
And we refused to accommodate that. We refused to agree to that term just because we felt that the existing zoning offered us so much more flexibility than having to go through a PUD process. Once you go through the PUD process, you're totally at the the whims and the determination of the city as opposed to what they've already published. So for us, it was a disadvantage to go into the PUD process and we fought that to make sure that we didn't have to do that. So that would be the first one. The second one is obviously knowing your market, making sure that you're going into a strong market and who are your potential buyers or your clientele. And then the third one is, I would say, having a good broker to who can market those things for you. So obviously getting your name out there and your brand out there is important. Yep. What's a typical business plan look like for your warehouse investments? It's a three to five year investment. You know, I'm a real estate developer. So, you know, people ask me, when's the perfect time to sell? And I said, you know, everything's for sale. I mean, if you, if you offer me the right price, I'll sell you. But um, the next best time to sell is when you don't have to. And so we're always looking for, you know, holding, being, you know, making sure that we have a proper debt and equity structure that we can withstand recessionary markets. And that's one of the reasons why we really enjoy the self-storage space and the warehouse space is because of the fact that it's more recessionary resistant than any other product that we've seen. And so if we have the proper debt structure, then we can withstand those ups and downs in the marketplace. Do you typically buy these properties, these warehouses vacant and empty, or are you going out and purchasing you know, properties with existing tenants in them? I would say both. Dayton was completely empty. It was empty for about 40 years. Interestingly enough, someone came in to buy it to turn it into multifamily. And because they couldn't get parking variation, they couldn't do it. And so that's why we came in and bought it from them. But our Wisconsin project, our Toledo project, and our Louisville project all had tenants in them. And so, or partially, Wisconsin was partially occupied, but, you know, once we bought the building, they were removed and we converted the entire building. But same with Toledo. Toledo, they uh, took their inventory out and then we did the conversion and then are in the process of leasing that back up. Louisville will actually be renovating the building and relocating the tenants into a more conducive configuration for our, our operations. What about, so like when you do take a building over that's vacant, how do you go about choosing what tenant goes in there? I'm sure it's difficult because you can have anybody almost in there. So how do you go about selecting that person and then going and finding that tenant? Well, we work with the brokers to find the tenants, but the biggest thing is we're looking at what's the viability of their business model. Do they have experience with it? And, you know, the building that we bought in Northbrook was about 60% vacant at the time that we acquired it. And we, since that period of time, we brought in we've turned over all the tenants and we've raised the occupancy up to 95% occupied and every tenant now is on a longer term lease, but we qualify them. You know, we look at what their experience is, what their background is. If they're a new business, you know, how much, what are they bringing to the table to ensure that their business has a, a viable business plan? And we've taken, we've taken chances with brand new uh, operators, but also established operators as well. What's a typical lease term when you're signing these things? And, you know, if you had to choose a perfect tenant, who is that? The perfect tenant is the one who always pays, right? (laughs) So they're typically, I mean, obviously we'd like seven years, but most new operators aren't comfortable signing a seven-year lease. So typically we'll get them between a three and a seven-year lease, but with the extensions that we have automatically kick in. And so, um, you know, we have one tenant that bought out a business And part of that is we have two five years with two other additional five-year extensions. So it almost came out to like a 15-year lease. That was more of the exception rather than the norm. 
but most of them are three years and then we have automatic renewals with extensions in them as well. So that for us is the most optimal. Got it. And do you have standard rent increases in there along with common area maintenance as well, kind of like retail does on a year over year basis? Yeah. So that would be based upon whether or not they're triple lease or gross modified. So if they're, you know, if they're triple net lease, then it's just a standard percentage increase. But if it's a, you know, and then they have to reflect it based upon uh, what the taxes are and those sorts of things. And then the association or the CAM operating expenses. So each lease is a little bit different, but we do have, we base our model on those as well. Obviously we don't want to make it too aggressive outside of the rate of inflation because then it's not attractive to the tenant to stay there. So we make sure we're competitive. And would you prefer buying in bulk or are these just one-off properties as you find them? Oh, they've all been one-off. As we've been growing, we've implemented a five-year plan that was to have 10 of these assets within five years. We're certainly on track for that. Our Louisville project was our seventh one. And so we're making good progress on our goals. Yep. Perfect. All right. Lolita's going to take us into our final four questions. Are you ready? How many times have you thought there has to be a better way while working through endless rent rules and historicals? Enter Red IQ, who will process and standardize them, generate deep and accurate property insights, and bring you through the final underwriting all in just five minutes. As for underwriting, thanks to Red IQ's new Excel add-in called QuickSync, you can continue using your own model and instantaneously populate it with the data from Red IQ with just the click of a button. Request a demo today at RedIQ.com. I wasn't right. sure if you were asking me or Lily. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Scott, here we go. What is the one tool you use in real estate investing that you could not do without? The one tool, I'm going to say my head, my brain. I think that's, you know, I'm always looking to grow and develop that and to nurture it and to make sure that I'm doing it better. And if I was not doing that, then it would be outdated. So I think that's an asset that I'm constantly having to work on. In fact, I'm just embarked on a two-year journey of of leadership for that. And so I've, I've joined a program, which is, it's, we meet quarterly. And, you know, that's the focus of the next two years is to improve in my own life. Great. Can you tell us a story about your biggest mistake in real estate investing and the main takeaway for our listeners? Well, I don't know. It's hard to quantify the biggest one, but I think that the biggest one that I've made was getting into a business relationship where I didn't know enough about the other person. And as a result of it, it led to some problems that, I'm, you know, six years later, I'm still trying to contend with. That has been the biggest mistake by far. And fortunately, I had systems in place that caught that, you know, the reason why we had to make those changes. So I'm very appreciative of the systems that we put in place to make sure that those things would not occur again. But I think I would say that is the most important thing is, knowing who you're getting into business with and doing it well and making sure that you have systems for accountability and growth and making sure that everybody is on the same page. What is it that you need to do now to grow your life to the next level? Well, it's like I said, I'm just getting involved with this two-year program. I think that if I'm just evaluating myself without having new sources of lenses to view it from or accountability, then you know you become stagnant. And so throughout my course of my career, I began with my first mentor when I was getting my master's degree in architecture. The professor, I, you know, who my thesis was, was that project I described earlier. He was my first mentor. And then I've had a, a second mentor that really taught me how to expand and grow my business beyond just a, you know, a regional 
within a city type business to a, within a regional within the country, you know, now we're throughout the Midwest, but I'm also constantly looking to grow that beyond that. And, you know, it's not for the sake of growth, but the sake of doing it better to make sure that we're doing our jobs more efficiently. And lastly, Scott, where can people find out more about you? You can go two different places. I would say one is our webpage, www.codamg.com. And we're also on Facebook where we have CodaMG. And if someone from, you know, emails us, you know, it's info at CodaMG.com. If they email us and they reference the show, you know, as a gift to your listeners, we will certainly take some time to go through our strategy. And if they have an opportunity, if they have a warehouse they think might be good and they're evaluating it, if they want us to sign a non-disclosure, non-circumvent, we'd be more than happy to do that. This industry is way too small to try to steal deals from people. But if they bring us something and we asking our opinion or what to look or how to evaluate it, we'd be certainly happy to go through that with them and give them an hour of our time. So we'd like to do that for your listeners. Great. Thank you for that. Lots of great information there for our listeners. So thank you for that and for being on our show, Scott. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please go to iTunes and leave a rating and written review to help us grow and reach more listeners. You can also go to the Passive Income Through Multifamily Real Estate group on Facebook so you can connect with Kyle and Lolita and ask your questions that you want them to answer on the show. Subscribe too so that you can get the latest episodes. Lastly, to stay updated, head on over to aptcapitalgroup.com and sign up for the newsletter. If you're interested in partnering with Kyle and Lolita, sign up on the Contact Us page so you can talk to them directly. Thanks again for joining us. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode.